Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Christian, over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. Uh, it's been a while since we recorded. I went on a little uh, road trip through the eastern time zone here in the U.S., but uh, I'm back now. Been a good week, and uh, I'm ready to get back to some ARR, no doubt about it. Yeah, it is a... Uh... Yeah, it, it is definitely good to get back. We have a good week of content with this episode. And then episode 250 uh, with uh, our friends Nico Fasella and Rob Dickey. Um, be on the lookout for that one as well. Uh, but yeah, it was, um, you know, Daniel was able to hit three ballparks on his trip, which was pretty sick. Yeah, three ballparks and uh, three baseball-related museums. I went to Progressive Field in Cleveland. I went to... Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati. And by the way, the game I went to had the highest uh, recorded attendance in GABP history, which is really cool. Um, and I went to PNC Park in Pittsburgh. I uh, saw, saw a Guardians game, a Reds game, and a Pirates game. I uh, had a lot of fun at those parks. And I also went to the uh, Louisville Sluggers Museum. I went to the uh, Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame, which was actually a really cool place. And then I went to the Roberto Clemente Museum uh, in Pittsburgh. And all those are really cool. Um, if, you've, if you're in the, any of those areas, I would say check all of them out. Uh, yeah, the Reds Hall of Fame, I like to start with real quick. They So they had this, uh, I showed you this, Chris, but they had this room where, you know, all the plaques are for all of the Reds Hall of Famers. And if you've ever been to the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, you you know that like in that same like quote unquote plaque room they have like a little screen with every Hall of Famer and you can click on it and it shows you like their bio and why they're a Hall of Famer essentially the Reds have that same thing but there's a video option and if you click the video option like the the LED lights in the room like fade to red fade to white they do this like very theatrical thing and there's like a video uh where they're explaining they're like they do like a minute long monologue on each Hall of Famer and if it's recent enough. They have like video highlights of them playing on the screens. Um, it's, it's super cool. And the, the thing that I said was if the baseball hall of fame had that, I would never leave. Like they would have to kick me out. I would literally go through all 250. However, it is hall of famers at one in one time. Yeah. You showed me the video and yeah, I mean, I just like, I like that the plaque, like the plaque is glowing red or yep. not, not the plaque itself, oh, yeah, that part around too. it. Yeah. Um, I forgot about that part. Yeah. So anytime you click on one of these players, um, there's like a little LED red light and white light behind each plaque and they light up when you're playing that one. So, you know, like, oh, this is the guy they're talking about. Um, do you want to just uh, play the video I sent right here so so you can get a visual on this? Um, I'll, I'll cut it in. All right. So right here, this is what it looks like. And Cy Seymour in 1905. <laughs> Good narrator. Yeah. So that's what it looked like. Uh, and they had that for every single Reds Hall of Famer. Um, 
Also, if you're wondering why the video was of Cy Seymour, stay tuned for episode 250. Yeah, you you might yeah, once you see the title of 250, you might know exactly why why he's <laughs> mentioned at all. Especially given uh given the the narrative in that in that little spiel about him there. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um but yeah, uh yeah, ha- you know, definitely sounded like a fun trip to go on full of baseball parks and also I believe amusement parks. Yeah, that as well. That as well. Um awesome. So yeah. Um that is where we've been the last week. Um but yeah, happy to get back into things. Um and you know, with this show we like to obviously we like to dive into the uh what people would call the analytics, the bigger numbers, the numbers that uh, a lot of people like to go against. Um, and for some reason it popped up, uh, it popped up yesterday, kind of in social media, kind of been a growing trend um, with uh, on, on Twitter and somewhat, and we're both active in baseball, social media and whatnot, or at least try to be. And uh, I think, and people are pointing out like Luis Rise, he's hitting 390. Now he's hitting 392, actually. He had two hits yesterday. Yeah. Um, he's hitting 392, and his his baseball savant page looks bad. The the nerds are saying or the the nerds probably think he's bad because his exit velocity is low. Um, and it was just very you know, not understanding the big picture. What was your reaction to this whole ordeal? So, first of all. Like this goes, you know, the, the prime example of this is Luis Arise, but it goes for every single person. Don't ever use a person's baseball savant uh, percentile rankings to to determine a hitter's value. So many people do that, and it's the most tiring thing ever because that only tells you some of batted ball profile, and there's so much it doesn't get into, and it also only shows them relative to the rest of the league. Um, it doesn't, you know, set a, a person's own standards. Uh, it, it's just so tired. I hate it. Um, and Luis Arise is the perfect example because you look at his his Savant page and you see a lot of good stuff and a lot of bad stuff, quote unquote. Uh, you know, you'll see he doesn't hit the ball hard, but he hits the ball in the right place. His launch angle distribution is kind of perfect. Um, he has 99, 99th percentile expected batting average because Ronald Acuna is above him. He's 100% strikeout rate because nobody strikes out. Uh, less than he does and he has like second percentile hard hit rate because he doesn't hit the ball very hard which is fine uh you know like you know exit velocity and having exit velocity and hitting the ball hard is good but it's not the end all be all and there's a i think the perfect way of putting it is there's this meme that's been floating around twitter for the last couple of months now it's a bell curve where at the you know at the bottom left it says like Luis Arise is very good, and then at the top with like the you know the two thirty four percentiles, it says like Luis Arise is a noodle, he's bad, and then on the bottom right says the same thing, Luis Arise is very good. So essentially, what that says is like you know the best and worst people believe Luis Arise is good, and then the median people believe he's bad. So let me just I'll just explain every tier of that real quick. So the 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 bottom left of the bell curve the you know, the dumb people that say Luis Arias is good. 
just look at oh you know he is a good batting average he hits the ball well, he hits the ball in the right place blah 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 and they kind of just leave it at that oh he's good because he he has a three whatever whatever average uh and they don't go into anything beyond that that's not good because it doesn't really go into why he's actually good it's just one thing that he happens to do very well uh the median is Luis Arias is a noodle he's not good you that what we just talked about the bad ball numbers he doesn't hit the ball very hard he's playing you know he has a style of play that isn't sustainable like he's he shouldn't be this good he's getting very lucky he is a babip of whatever it is his babip this year is 407 you know his career babip is 345 he shouldn't be this good and then the bottom right the you know the the smart people quote unquote also say Luis Arise is good and that's because Luis Arise is an outlier. Uh, he's a guy that has sustained a what should be unsustainable style of play for like four years now. He made his debut in 2019. He hit 334 that year. He's hit 300 in 366 plate appearances in 2019, 121 plate appearances in, in 2020, uh, 316 in 603 plate appearances in 2022, and now 392 in 227 plate appearances this year. We're past the point of is it sustainable with Luis Arias because he's proven that it is over four years. So, yo, yes, you look at a lot of guys that are primary contact hitters, guys like, uh, you know, Nicky Lopez in 2021, David Fletcher in 2019, uh, several guys, Miles Straw in 2021, Stephen Kwan in 2022, guys that had very contact-heavy seasons with little power. A lot of those guys, all of the four guys that I just mentioned, have not really sustained it beyond those one season. Stephen Kwan this year has not been uh, nearly as good offensively as he was last year. Miles Straw goes without saying. Nicky Lopez, I don't even know if he's like still on an active roster. Uh, David Fletcher just got option to AAA this year. Luis Arias is, yes, he's playing a style of baseball that is not sustainable, but he has sustained it, and that's why he's incredibly good. It takes a lot of talent to be able to actually do that that consistently over a five-year stretch. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, he, yes, and to, it, it's a correct way to put it in that he is an outlier. Um, And by the way, yeah, I mean, if you're not aware of what Luis Arias is doing, he is, leading the league in average, leading the league in on-base percentage. He's also eighth in OPS, um, which is very hard to do for a guy who doesn't have a lot of power. Um, what I see with this thing, and, and you know, we're pro- we're reacting to social media, so, you know, it, it's it's tongue-in-cheek in a way, but also I think yeah. I think this is an opportunity to sort of um, provide context of, like, what baseball savant means and how people – uh, misunderstand it sometimes. Um, so I'm go I'm going off of a tweet by, uh, Co- I think it's Codify or it's Codify. Some it's like Codify, that. I believe. Yeah. Um, but they had a tweet. It was just a picture of Luis Rise and his uh savant baseball savant circles. Um, behind him, and it said Luis Rise is batting 390. It has over six thousand likes up to this point. Um. But what it shows is 28, you know, at, at the time it was 34th percentile average exit velocity, uh, 7th percentile max exit velocity, 2nd percentile hard hit rate, um, but also 80th percentile expected WOBA, 99th percentile expected batting average, 63rd percentile expected slugging, 5th percentile barrel rate, 100th percentile strikeout rate, 
hundredth uh, percentile whiff rate, all that stuff. Um, so I think I think what the non the the non analytical people, the people who like to consider themselves old school or like to consider this uh, look into advanced stats stupid. I think what their misunderstanding is that they think, you know, average exit, like you can, all these people only think you're good if you have a high average exit velocity, which for the most part is true. And also if anytime you hit the ball harder, that's a better result. So that's true. However, Luis Arise, Luis Arise is still good despite having a low average exit velocity because of a variety of reasons. And I put that in my own little tweet. I tried to condense it into you know, the, the 200, 280 characters I had available. Um, so I said, if you're confused, less strikeout rate, less strikeouts mean expected numbers up. What I'm trying to say there is um, anytime you don't strike out, you put the ball in, you know, you put the ball in play. Any ball in play is going to have a minimum of like an 010 expected batting average. Um, and the average, and in fact, the average uh, batted ball this year uh, has a 332 average on it and a 547 slugging on it. So obviously, strike you know not striking out is going to put you put yourself in a uh, in a in a better position. And Luis Rise is literally the best at that. He has the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. Um, I also put. 85 mile per hour line drive is better than a 95 mile per hour ground ball. Uh, so the statistics behind that yesterday, I looked at it. It's probably not completely updated, but the idea is there. But yesterday I saw the league batting average on line drives, 84 to 86 miles per hour and exit velocity had a 598 average on it. And the league average on ground balls with a 94 to 96 mile per hour exit velocity was 290. So a softer hit, uh, a softer hit line drive is much better than a harder hit ground ball. So we, we have to distinguish that when we're talking about exit velocity and um, the types of batted balls, because there's a lot of guys that hit the ball hard, but it's right into the ground and obviously, and their expected numbers fall because of that. And uh, also I put pop-ups equals bad. Um, pop-ups garner a uh, a league batting average of 016 this year so far. And so I put that into context and a rise. So from that I could get, so to explain why a rise is doing good, um, despite the low exit velocity, is he has the lowest strikeout rate in baseball, as I said. He's the fourth highest line drive rate, minimum 150 batted balls. There's 91 other, or there's 90 other uh, hitters with with uh, 150 plus batted balls. He has the fourth highest line drive rate, and he also has the third lowest pop up rate. So he is he is put he's putting the ball in the best direction possible to get that expected batting average up. Um, but also, yeah, so he can. So that's why he's succeeding despite the low exit velocity it's not because you know him having a low exit velocity and high expected numbers doesn't mean that the numbers don't matter it doesn't mean that the matters are made up or whatever it means that he's just putting the ball in the right direction and that's that's why he's good he's good because he has a high line drive rate low pop-up rate it's not because he's hitting the ball hard no one's saying that it's because he puts the ball in play and when he does put the ball in play uh it's in the right direction
Yeah, and I, I think it's fair to still point out like his hitting numbers may be a little above where they should be theoretically. Um because I mean he's hitting 392. That is insane. Uh and it's reasonable to believe that it's not going to uh it's not going to sustain itself completely um throughout the season. You know, like there have only been uh there have only been two seasons since Ted Williams where someone had a, a 390 batting average. One of them was in a strike-shortened season, and one of them was in a, a season where the guy was injured and only played 117 games. So, I mean, yeah. to sustain it over a full season is – it really – if you really want to put some asterisks on a couple things, it hasn't been done since Ted Williams. So, you know, it's fair to believe he'll be underneath the uh, the – uh, 390 threshold by season's end, but I would love to be proven wrong on that one, no doubt. Yeah, that's true. And, um, and yeah, like, yeah, he's hitting 392. <clears throat> His expected batting average is, uh, 331. Um, but, uh, but he's, his tended his whole career, his batting average has been, uh, you know, like it, his batting average is like 30 points above his expected batting average. And, um, you know, that's that's fair to think like, OK, maybe it's not as reliable, but I think he's, you know, he just he hits the ball in the right direction. He also probably finds holes in the defense, which expected numbers mm-hmm. don't really factor for. So, yeah, maybe maybe it's a little bit there, but I think the expected numbers are like, yeah, expected numbers are getting kind of trashed in this scenario. But I think I think there's a lot more similarities that I have to a uh, to like an old school baseball fan. We both agree that line drives are great. We both agree that strikeouts um, are not productive. Um, however, I think, I think when you're looking at a powerful bat, if you want to, if striking out more will lead to an approach that leads to more home runs, maybe I'll take the home runs along with more strikeouts, but with a rise, you know, a player like a rise having less strikeouts uh, is ideal. And that's exactly what he does. So like, I think, I think, this is making me realize, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that different than the old school baseball fan. It's just, I'm putting numbers down to quantify these things instead of just saying, Oh, hard hit line drives. That's what you got to do. You know, mm-hmm. I know it. I look at the numbers and they show that they get the best results. It's, it's, the most analytical, it's the most analytical way of looking at old school baseball because, you know, like the phrase, put the ball in play uh, is, is, you know, said throughout your entire baseball life. You know, it's probably still said at the major league level by, you know, the old school uh, baseball fans that don't look at the advanced analytics. But I think every baseball fan should agree. Yeah, if you're hitting hard line drives, that's great. You should do that as much as possible. Like there's no way through any way through any baseball fan, you could say that's bad for a hitter. No shot. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it garners the it garners the best results. The league batting average on line drives this year is 648. And then if you break it down to hard hit line drives, then it's probably up near 700, I think. Um, so, so yeah, you know, that's, I, I think, I think we agree, you know, we all agree on more than we think we agree on. It's just, we, we use different tools to evaluate it. Some people use the eye test, the eye arise passes the eye test he also passes the uh you know the analytical expected numbers test. test and the the analytical test 
sure, he's he's doing a little bit better than he should be doing, you know, by the expected numbers. But he also doesn't have like a 250 expected batting average. He he's literally in the 99th percentile in expected batting average. So yeah, I think we all agree he's doing well. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and also it's like if you look at his expected batting average and say, well, it's only 331, he shouldn't be hitting 392. A 392 batting expected batting average is like straight up impossible. Right, right. Like, like yeah. I bet I bet Ted Williams under today's metrics had a 331 batting average in 1941 expected yeah, yeah. batting average rather yeah maybe like 350 of the most yeah 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 it, absolutely absolutely i bet yeah i bet like ichiro in like the early 2000s had an expected batting average in like the low 300s because he was hitting so many like soft ground balls that he was or even hard ground balls that he was just beating out oh yeah yeah and and we talked about it with um with BABIP, like faster players yeah. are more due to be above their expected numbers, be above the league BABIP. However, Arise, um, Arise, I know actually has a 31st percentile uh, sprint yeah. speed. So that's we, uh, interesting. We talk a lot on this show about like players we wish we had stat cast for. You know, we talk to all of our guests about it. I think the very last player I would ever want to see the stat cast metrics for would be Ichiro. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. I like don't don't show me it. I don't want to see it. It would be, it would be kind of. <laughs> or at least at least don't let like the general public see it because people would be like, Idro overrated, exposed. <laughs> <laughs> Second percentile hard hit rate in two thousand one. Broad yeah. Yeah, reason yeah. the Mariners didn't win. Um, in, the, in the playoffs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there. There are. For batters specifically, I think pitchers like you definitely should use expected numbers for because you don't have like a typical, you don't have like your own prototype that's going to prevent uh, you having better expected numbers. Like a faster player can overperform his expected numbers. A player who just has better like um, bat control will probably outperform his expected numbers pitchers don't really have that a player a player that hits a lot of balls in the air is probably not going to have good expected numbers right yeah exactly um and hitting the ball hard every single time if you are wondering why arise is outperforming his expected batting average by 61 points he is hitting 341 on grounders uh he has a 258 expected batting average on grounders um, so he's probably just getting a little bit lucky on the ground balls, but he's still hitting line drives at a 30% rate and that should be acknowledged. Which is fine. Like you can't, I mean, you can't hit 390 without a little bit of luck. Yeah, no, he can't. He can't, especially, you know, like having, having low exit velocity numbers. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and also another point that should be made Arise would still be doing better if he was hitting the ball harder. I'm not blaming him for not hitting the ball yeah. harder. But just that's the, that's a fact. Anytime you hit but the ball But it's okay. Harder, like he's results. done it long enough. He's done it long enough to prove that he doesn't need to. Yeah, and I don't think I think if he made an approach to try and hit the ball harder, he'd strike out more and he would be negatively affected. Like he wouldn't he wouldn't be Luis Arise. Yeah. Some people be good. some people just don't have the power to do that. And right. like if you're Luis Arise and you're that good of a pure hitter, I know that's like a term that we hate, but like you don't, you don't even need to. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, you know, shout out to Luis Rise. I, you know, he's not 
someone that's necessarily eligible for us to highlight as how about that necessarily because he is you know he's probably consensus top 50 player in baseball right now um Mm -hmm. especially you know from last year to this year but you know should be shouted out for being like doing the best with the tools that he has you know having uh as great of a line drive rate and as low as a low of a pop up rate as he does and as great as a as great of a contact rate as he does because yeah if he didn't have if he wasn't like that uh he would be like a nine hitter um considering the tools he has but he does he does the best with what he has so shout out to him yes um so yeah uh arise has you know this is his first year with the marlins and the marlins are in the national league playoff picture they're you know tied for a spot in the wild card um in the wild card and we're not talking specifically about the Marlins. However, the national league playoff picture is extremely intriguing uh, at this point in the year. And by the way, yesterday did mark the 67th day of the uh, regular season, which was how long the 2020 regular season was. So we've officially approached, you know, sort of, we're, we're kind of in a, at a significant point in the year. Um, but yeah, like there's a lot of NL teams still in the action, the, uh, in the playoff race there's no team more than seven games out of the wild card spot so there's there's like 15 teams that could like that are like within reach of maybe making the playoffs this year which is pretty cool yeah no doubt that's pretty sick just looking at it right now so it looks like uh i'm sorry to change the subject a little but by 2020 standards tampa bay would be the one seed texas would be the two seed minnesota would be the three seed uh and then baltimore would be the four seed uh, Houston would be the five seed, and then Cleveland, despite being twenty-seven and thirty-two, would be the six seed, and then the yeah. Yankees would be the seventh seed, and yeah. the Blue Jays would be the eighth seed. I love, I love, I love the playoff format of all second-place teams must make it regardless. Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that like nothing super drastic happened because of that. Like well, maybe the Astros. At yeah, because um, you know, twenty-nine and thirty-one shouldn't have made it, but. Or no way, they were the what seven seed? No, they were they're no, the they were the six seed. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, luckily they almost went to the World Series anyway. And in the National League, it would be, uh, the Braves. I guess yeah, I guess the Braves would have the one seed. The Dodgers and Diamondbacks are tied, so I think the Diamondbacks have the uh, head to head this the uh the regular season record. So I guess I'd give them the two seed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Let me, let me check. I just want to make sure the Diamondbacks have that over yeah. the Dodgers because I feel like that was probably the tiebreaker. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That season. I, th- I think it 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 would make the most sense if it was head-to-head that was the tiebreaker. Uh, yep, they went 5-3 and three against the Dodgers. Okay, so we'll give the Diamondbacks the two seed, um, and then we'll go, go ahead and give Milwaukee the three seed, and then we'll give, well, we'll give the Dodgers the four seed. It's pretty easy. Uh, Pittsburgh would be getting the five seed, and Miami would get the six seed. That's pretty cool. And then the Mets and Giants would round it out. Nice, nice. The yeah. Giants sit there with their twenty nine and thirty record. Yeah. So like, they haven't played well though. With this, with this National League playoff picture, like I think there's a lot of interesting teams in it. Uh, we were going to talk about the Diamondbacks solely. However, they've um. 
they lost their last two games, but they were on a, I think, six-game win streak. They're still tied. I mean, the fact that they're tied with the Dodgers uh, in the NL West at this point is pretty outstanding. What it, you know, what has been uh, impressing you about the Diamondbacks? I mean, the Diamondbacks have kind of been doing it all recently. I admittedly haven't looked into numbers, but um, you know, I, I mean, I didn't get to watch a ton of them over the recent past because I was on vacation. But since May twelfth, they've gone from. Uh, two games above 500 entering play that day to now being 35 and 25, 10 games over 500. So that's kind of the span in which uh, this all started. Uh, I have to look at numbers to see what specifically they're doing well. well what, are, what do you got, if anything? Well, I do believe, despite dropping their last two, I believe in that span that started on, what, May 12 uh, or May 13. Mm-hmm. Well, in, the, in this 22-game span, I do believe they have the best record in the National League, despite losing the last two. Um, I think what's what's um, it, it's not that difficult to identify, but just over the full season, not even just this this uh, little sample we're looking at here, Corbin Carroll is really looking yep. like like he's the absolute future of the Diamondbacks. I think it's confirmed any it's it's a uh, neglected any doubt of them giving him too much money or the idea of them giving him too much money before the season you know he signed a uh, an 8 year deal before this year at 111 million dollars it bought off uh 2 years of free agency and there's an option to buy off a third year of free agency i believe um but i mean a 145 ops plus this year along with 16 stolen bases he's not like not only the clear front runner for uh rookie of the year candidate, but he probably will be getting MVP votes this year if he keeps this up. Yeah, he should be getting MVP votes. Uh their bullpen has a 308 ERA over this span. Uh and that ranks uh I believe seventh lowest in baseball uh since May twelfth. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's something that's been going well for them. Yeah, and up to yesterday, it was it was at two six one, which is which was a uh, fifth best. Um, unfortunately for them, um, <laughs> with two uh, it, that stat would have been even better. But uh, with two outs yep. in the ninth inning yesterday, uh, Miguel Castro gave up a grand slam to Eddie Rosario. So, unfortunately, the numbers are more inflated than they were yesterday. But still, yeah, well, hey, Miguel Castro. I think that that must have been the only home run he's given up in the span because his home runs per nine is 090 in 10 innings pitched. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Fair enough. But, um, <laughs> but still 308 ERA in their last 22 games. That was something I was, um, fearful of with the Diamondbacks was, uh, bullpen. I, I wasn't quite sure or just pitching in general. I just wasn't quite sure on, but their pitch, their pitching has been better than their offense in this span. I can confirm that with the numbers I looked at uh, yesterday. You know, their offense has been, you know, doing kind of treading water, but their pitching has been kind of driving their success in this uh, lately. Um, yeah, and for me, also with the Diamondbacks, uh, the the trade they made this past off season. Couldn't be look couldn't be looking better for them right now. Yeah, I mean, definitely right now. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who was like kind of the throw-in in that trade, 
has been like one of the best overall hitters this season. He was a how about that about a month ago, and he's kind of doing the same thing now that he was uh, when I highlighted him. Um, and Gabriel Moreno, hitting for average as a catcher, not so much for power, but defensively he's been a star. Uh, if you look at like all the, the the new stat cast catcher metrics, he's towards the top of all of them. Um, and Dalton Varsho has been struggling a bit this year as well. Right. It's, yeah, it's a two-sided coin there because yeah, they, they've had success from, um, from both their players. Like, you know, uh, Guriel Jr. had a 909 or has a 909 OPS of the 147 OPS plus. He hasn't been, I don't know if he's posted numbers like that in his career. Um, so, I mean, definitely a good surprise for the Diamondbacks there. Uh, and then with Moreno, he has a 90 OPS plus, but I think the league, the league average OP, the league average OPS plus for catchers is around 90. So like he's an average catcher offensively. And then as you mentioned, defensively, he's been uh, doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the catcher throwing, he is like one of the best throwing arms in the league this year. I think he ranks, he's either first, you know, he's first in uh, catchers caught stealing above average, uh, which essentially measures like, uh, you know, should you throw this guy out based on probability of previous uh, throws of, uh, you know, that pop time and that that distance the runner already had to the base at the time. Uh, he is doing that, you know, it's a volume match. It's a volume stat, so it's a count stat, but he has the most in the league at six so far this year. Uh, he's been outstanding. Yeah, and... Uh... Three days ago, he threw out Ronald Acuna Jr. on a on an estimated cost ceiling percentage of nine percent, uh, which is extremely impressive. White out. I'm watching that um, right now. So, uh, and yeah, to go on top of that, even taking away the stat cast stuff, um, Moreno has has uh, th- thrown out fifty two percent of the base runners who have gone against him this year which is unbelievable. The league average uh, caught stealing percentage is 19%. He's at 52%, uh, which is why his defensive numbers are, are that good. Um, And, uh, and yeah, like, so that, that obviously just puts the Diamondbacks in a great position. They weren't, you know, they weren't too confident in their catcher position beforehand, but I mean, this guy, um, if he just, even if he just plays like this, this is valuable to have for the next five, six years. Yeah, it does look like he struggles a little bit with framing, but that's something that can be fixed, and maybe we have robot umpires one day soon. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Right, right. But yeah, the the throwing, the controlling of the base paths, especially in this game, you know, with the whole um, pickoff rule and everything, uh, that's very vital, That's and it's very impressive. I mean, the I think the stolen base success rate from last year to this year was went up like 6%. But uh, so having a guy like Moreno back there throwing out half the base runners that go against him is um is a really great tool to have. So, yeah, the Diamondbacks uh, have been succeeding, especially as of late, despite the last two losses. Um, them being tied for the NL West at this point is, I think, surprising to most fans. Um, what, what do you kind of gauge their future at? Like, I, I know that first 60 games have provided some optimism for the next, you know, 102. Um, where do you see this team landing? 
Yeah, I mean, the Dodgers, the, the Dodgers are inevitable until they're not, right? I mean, it's, the Dodgers, are, you know, it feels like the Dodgers are still up in this division by eight games, uh, and they only lose their lead when they still happen to be tied in, like, August or September. Um, so we'll have to see, you know, if they can continue to fend off the Dodgers for this long. They don't have to play them again until August, which is pretty good. Um you know, I could see this team in the wild card hunt for a while. I, I think their uh, their trade deadline will be interesting because, you know, they could use another starter probably. Um, they could definitely use some relievers. And, I mean, you know, definitely a couple of hitters as well. It feels like there's there's nothing that they're complete with right now. You know, they can use some reinforcements everywhere uh, in in some capacity, I feel like. Uh yeah, that's which that's is which cool. is usually the case for most teams. You know, I don't think there's a single team that goes into the trade deadline as buyers being like, we don't even need to look at starters, relievers, hitters, fielders, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's my outlook on the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same line. Like, yeah, I, I don't think anyone is saying is crowning them uh, NL West champions right now. But um, yeah, they're definitely an intriguing team for the wild card. And I definitely agree that their trade deadline will be very interesting because, um, you know, it doesn't seem based on how the organization has been the last few years, they're not exactly in a full win now mode, but they're also not in a full, they're definitely not in a rebuild by any means either. Um, So that makes it, that makes this trade deadline potentially interesting. I think they, if they really want to take themselves seriously as a contender, they would need to add a starting pitcher. They have two good start. They're they have two pretty good starting pitchers. Obviously, Gallon is really good. Uh, Kelly's also pretty good. Um, however, after that, it's it's not looking great. They have three starters. You know, three of their five starters are very very questionable. Um, so I, I'd be interested to see interested to see what they add to their um add to their starting rotation and potentially their bullpen too but yeah i mean with especially with how this playoff picture has been um i wouldn't be surprised to see the diamondbacks in there for a while i'm muted i really wonder if this if last year's postseason changed the mindset of a lot of teams going into the trade deadline where you know the the last team in uh beat two like two uh, or you know beat two division champions um yeah, that's true. to get into the to get to the world series um and you know it really the way it feels is like as long as you can get in you have just as much of a chance as anyone else you know there isn't much of a feeling as like yeah I don't want to go all in to make the playoffs just to be snuffed out early because you know look at the Phillies last year they came in and they you know they beat the Braves they beat the Cardinals the uh, Dodgers lost to the Padres who were a wild card team um you know there's a lot of interesting uh you know thoughts to be had uh, about the playoffs uh after last year and I really wonder if there are teams being like well hey we have a chance to get in let's try to get in and see what happens yeah for sure um I definitely uh definitely agree with that there um so yeah, anything more on the Diamondbacks before we briefly go over the next some of the other teams? I had a very brief thought. I wonder if they I think they would have to 
stumble a little bit over the next two months to get to this point, but I'm wondering if they approach the trade deadline the same way the Orioles did last year. I know that kind of goes against the point I just made. Ultimately, I don't think they will, but what if they're in that position of like, okay, we we're we're pretty good right now, but I don't know if we're ready yet. Let's, you know, sell off a couple more pieces and then start going next year. Uh, you know, the Orioles, you know, a lot of people criticize them for selling it last year's deadline, but that got them the best reliever in baseball this year in Yenier Cano. Uh, they traded Jorge Lopez to get him. Uh, yeah. By the way, the Twins really fumbled the trade deadline last year because I don't know if you've seen the uh, return they got for Tyler Malley, but it's it's been a uh, Spencer Steer who just won NL Rookie of the Month and Christian Encarnacion Strand who's been like dominating in the minor leagues for for Louisville, uh, which is the Reds. Uh, you know, triple A affiliate. He's like, but he's getting so overshadowed because of Ellie De La Cruz. Right. Yeah. And, and they uh, also traded Yanir Cano. Yeah. The, yeah. They traded Cano who, yeah, still has a sub one ERA, I think. Yeah. What's well, his whip at this point? Because he, like he doesn't walk people. He doesn't give up hits. Like mm-hmm. he's kind of insane. And unfortunately, uh, Yanir Cano. Sorry. And, and unfortunately Jorge Lopez has been like, He's reverted back to the old Jorge Lopez, it seems like. Yeah, yeah no, back, it does sorry. seem like that. Uh, back um, to but Cano. Yanir Cano has 31 innings pitched already this year as a reliever. Uh, he has an 087 ERA, a 174 FIP, 4.9 hits per nine, and 0.6 walks per nine. He has two, two walks in 31 innings and 17 hits allowed. So that's a whip of 0.613. Yeah, that's amazing. That's yeah. nuts. That's literally insane. Really, really is for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, but go, yeah, going back to the Diamondbacks, I think the Orioles were in a unique position where I think they saw that Lopez was like, you know, when I when I talked about the Lopez trade, I was like, huh, that's interesting. They had they they still have like a few years of control on him. Um, I'm curious as to why they're trading him now when like he could be productive when they're competitive, like next year, or the year after um, clearly the, you know, Mike Elias and Sigma doll and all those people knew kind of projected the future there. And they got Cano instead of Lopez now, which is a, ultimately a good move. And they also yeah. traded Trey Mancini, who was on the last year of his uh, control. Um the Diamondbacks, I don't know if they have any particular pending free agents. Maybe Gurriel Jr. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but you can't trade him. Like he's been like arguably your best bat this season. Yeah. Um, unless they think they're not in a competitive position, I guess. Uh, he's yeah. he's has control through twenty twenty four. It looks like. Um, yeah, I'm so looking right them. now. Do they have any impending free agents that? Nick like Ahmed. significance. Uh, yeah, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a free agent next year. Evan Longoria, uh, Mark Melanson on a mutual option. Zach Davies on a mutual option. Miguel Castro on a vesting option. Yeah, not really. Uh, I thought Gurriel. Yeah, no. I thought Gurriel was a free agent after twenty twenty four. No, it shows him as a free agent in twenty twenty four. Um. On what? Wait, where? Fangraphs. Baseball reference says Arb eligible 2024, free agent 2025. 
And it says he entered this year with four years of service time. He, I think he signed an extension with the Blue Jays. Well, either uh, way. Fangraph, Fangraphs is saying, we're talking Lourdes Gurriel Jr., right? Yeah, or yeah, it, it does yeah. say sign. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, Fangraphs is showing a seven-year, $22 million deal from 2017 to 2023, uh, in which... He is owed five point eight million this year, and he is a and he's a free agent next year. Yeah, I think um, baseball reference also Andrew Chafin on a seven million dollar club club option. Yeah, I, there's nothing really crazy that they can do there. So yeah, uh, maybe, they've already cut Madison Bumgarner. Maybe after the, maybe if the Diamondbacks don't think they're in any good spots, make the playoffs. Maybe Guriel Junior is an option to put on the market, but. Um, that's a weird thing to say now that they're leading the division. So they will cross yeah. that bridge when they get there. Um, yeah. Which we can both agree on. Um, so regarding the rest of the NL playoff picture, just as I thought the pirates were disappearing and going back into their pirates obscurity, they go ahead, they win four in a row. They're, you know, if the season five in a row, today, five in a row, if the season ended today, they are in a playoff spot. So, like, how long do we think these uh, Buckos are hanging around here? I mean, it really seems like they're hanging around until they're not. They've been doing this without O'Neill Cruz for the majority of the season, uh, which has been pretty insane because he's, you know, probably the most exciting guy in that offense. Uh, they've been doing it before they maybe call up Eddie Rodriguez. Maybe they even call up Henry Davis because he just got called up to AAA uh, yesterday, which is very exciting. Um, you know, they've been doing this with Rich Hill in their rotation with 45 year old Rich. Uh, Vince Velasquez has been solid. Johan Oviedo has been solid. He has like the worst first inning ERA ever, but he's been solid in innings <laughs> two through nine. Um, Luis Ortiz pitched the game I went to, which, which is awesome. Yeah, um, that's your uh, that's your player to watch. One of them, it's one of my two, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think the Pirates can absolutely hang around for as long as. Uh, for as long as the season goes on at this point, I mean, they've been doing it for this long without O'Neill Cruz, like I mentioned, you know, when you when you look at that injury happening, you're like, oh, that's it. Like it's the Pirates had it for a couple of days and now they're their star shortstop of the future is out for maybe the rest of the season. Uh, but there's still four games over 500. They're still going. And maybe this is a byproduct of a lot of the National League kind of struggling. You know, the Mets are 500 the Giants are under 500 the Phillies Padres Cubs Reds Rockies Nationals Cardinals all under 500 um but you know the Pirates are they have a plus 10 run differential they're scoring a lot of runs their pitching has been particularly good this year um yeah the bullpen bullpen, David Bednar has been ridiculous out of the bullpen um yeah I, I see no reason why they can't keep going I know that they did really struggle in May but it's not May anymore yeah, I mean, in the in the National League overall, they the team ranks third in ERA. Um, their bullpen in the MLB ranks uh, seventh. Um, as you mentioned, David Bednar is absolutely nuts. He's continuing to climb the ranks of you know best relievers in the MLB. Um, so, shout out to David Bednar who has thirty strikeouts and one walk this year. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Mitch Keller, he was a how about that of yours. He's taken that next step that I think a lot of Pirates fans um, were hoping for. I mean, a sub three FIP at this point in the year seems pretty legit. 
Um, yeah, I mean, he's a legit Cy Young contender at this point. Yeah, yeah, he's. I cannot, I cannot fully deny that for sure. Um, so yeah, I think you know, there's there's some guys that are guys that maybe weren't necessarily like top 100 prospects coming up that are like arriving right now. You know, not the highest profile guys, but they're coming up, they're doing well, and some of the also, you know, veterans that they added are contributing contributing as well um mm-hmm. so that's very very good um and yeah just just young and yeah just like looking at the baseball reference dashboard you got like reynolds winsky joe uh mccutcheon all 120 ops plus and higher um so that's very cool for them um and yeah i you know with with how the nl playoff picture is going um with a lot of significant teams like the Padres and the Cardinals struggling uh, and, you know, not necessarily much signs pointing to them turning it around. Uh, you know, the Cardinals looked like they were turning it around and then they just got swept by the pirates. Um, you know, they, they could hang out for a little longer than we expected here. So uh, good for the pirates. Um, the Marlins just kind of are just sticking around. Yeah, they are. What's the record in one-run games at this point? Uh, as of yesterday, it was sixteen and four, and I I don't know if they were in a one-run game yesterday. Uh, no, but it's still sixteen and four. Yeah, um, <laughs> they are a weird team, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. They do have Luis Rise, which is cool. Mm-hmm. We talked about for a bunch, but they're they have out of fifteen NL teams, they are ninth in OPS. And they are seventh in ERA, so I guess their pitching has been good. But they're like the guys that you would expect to do well are not doing the best right now. Like Alcantara's at a five oh seven ERA, he's getting unlucky, that's for sure. Um, but Luzardo has an ERA over four. Um, but yeah, it, I I'm I'm very confused by this Marlins team. Yeah, I am too. I don't know. It's <laughs> I kind of want to let it go and just see what happens. They have a I know I hate run differential, but they have a negative 37 run differential. Uh I have a hard time believing they are better than like the top 4 teams that are behind them in the National League between the Mets, Giants, Phillies and and Padres. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It feels like one or all four of them is going to overtake them. Like I said, I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but it's going to take a lot. Yeah, there is to happen. I feel there is such an exact parallel with what the Marlins are doing now and what they did in the actual sixty-game season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, maybe this is like a simulation of what would have happened to them if twenty twenty had played out in a normal year. Yeah, no, literally, like, uh, they were thirty-two and twenty-eight, uh, or they're thirty-two and twenty-eight now. They were thirty-one and twenty-nine. Um then they i think their run differential wasn't good in 2020 also uh i think they won a lot of close games i know that they were particularly amazing in the seven inning games um yeah which is not a thing this year well and they had a lot of those in 2020 yeah because they were the first team to really have a big covid scare one of Um, two yeah no they they outperformed their pythagorean win loss that year by five wins um so that's that's part of it. Yeah, it's pretty much identical to their 2020 season so far. Um, I would expect the Mets to at some point 
wake up and be better than the Marlins at some point. Yeah, I mean, I I would hope they have the capability of doing so, given uh, the money that was poured into that team. Man, I I'm not. If they miss the playoffs, I am not prepared for all the narrative about spending doesn't win games. Oh my god, the A's would be so happy. Yeah, <laughs> like John Fisher would would be so back. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like they bought all the good players and, and they weren't good. I told you we that's why we gotta not spend and keep our bad players so right. we can also lose. Yeah. Us and the like, hey, yeah. the A's and Mets basically are the same season if the Mets miss the playoffs. Yeah, it doesn't matter that the A's will have won thirty two games and the Mets will have won eighty five. One thing it's- I wanted to ask you, do you think the Tampa Bay Rays at 42 and 19 have already surpassed the Oakland Athletics total total or their complete win total this year um, on June 5th. Yeah, I think so. I mean, all right. They would need to win 30 more games starting today to well, tie it. They've won 20% of their games. They're, they're on pace for, I think like 32, 33. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this. How many teams do you think at this point have surpassed the Oakland Athletics 162 game win total on June 5th? Um, can confirm they're on pace for 32.4 wins, 32.4. Um, I do. I think they'll, they'll, they'll get to like, they could get to like 40, the A's. Um, how many teams raise? I'll say just the Rays. Just Okay. Maybe to be concerned. So you you're taking the over on thirty eight and a half wins for the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I think they will go. My prediction is they'll go uh thirty nine and uh however many after that one hundred twenty three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thirty nine and one hundred twenty three is my is prediction. It will be funny. They they have no one to trade at the deadline. Also. Yeah. What are they gonna do? Like maybe Brent Rooker. Rooker just has so much control, but like also I know, but it still feels the, like they would. The A's and yeah, also the idea like if you sell off a player, like we we won't be competitive in this stretch where we have this player. And the A's yeah, he, he might he might go in and demand a trade. Yeah, they won't be competitive while Brent Rooker's around, probably because he's gonna be around for like five more years. Yeah, so, no. So That's like I, guess I can, feel so terrible for Oakland fans, man. Like they they so don't deserve this. It's not even funny. I do no fan base deserves this. <laughs> no. No fan base deserves this. this Honestly, um... like Yankees and Dodger fans deserve it for like one year. Right. Like just, just one year and then they go back to being monsters. Astros fans too. Actually, Astros fans already had it. True. Yeah, yeah. They they had that ten years ago. Um yeah, the yeah the Dodgers and Yankees they haven't been below five hundred for a very long time. So yeah, they could they could use a last place, finish yeah, just to humble themselves a little bit. Like a, no, I mean like a two hundred win winning percentage season. Yeah, no, I get that. I get like that. literally just one year. All I'm saying is one year, and then you go right back to being the super monster teams that you are. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. Maybe that maybe like for for a giant violation if, if yeah if a team like does the astros thing again or like worse they get that that's their punishment 
Yeah, you have to if you if you finish with a winning percentage above two fifty, like there will be more severe punishment. Yeah, <laughs> you have to try to lose. <laughs> yeah, like we will like cut your cable contract for a year or something like that. You could like send all your good players temporarily to other teams for one year. Yeah, but like they're still under your contract and they come back to you afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. even even if they try to trade them somewhere else or whatever, like you can't and like those the other teams can't talk about contract negotiations or anything like that. Yeah, you're like letting your letting the team borrow them for a year. Yeah, if you maybe maybe that's like a maybe that's like a a luxury tax threshold punishment. It's like if you're this over for this long, you have to suck one year. <laughs> That's a <laughs> that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Um, <clears throat> no, no, console, no, no, no. I have a better one. If you're if you're that over for that long and you don't win a World Series, okay, yeah, yeah, you just yeah. So like, the Phillies. I think that's what the Dodgers have been doing the last few years. They have won one though, the, or the last couple of years. I will. I'll correct yeah. myself. Because yeah. they easily they like they should have won like the past five World Series with how good they are. Like the past yeah. four at least. Um yeah. but they've they've only won one, and I think I think there's a little something going on there. Um but a team a team that maybe used to be competing for the luxury tax, but definitely not now because they're not very competitive, is the Nationals. And mm-hmm. some news came out with their highest paid player. Uh if you remember, they are paying Steven Strasburg 35 million per year. Uh still they're about halfway through the deal. Um but unfortunately, you know, he's he's been injury plagued the entire contract. He's only made I think one or two starts since he I signed that he's deal. 30 innings. I think he's pitched 30 innings in the contract. Yeah, not the best. Um but uh so you know, he's been injured variety of Variety of different things. Uh, my apologies. Um, variety of different things. And uh, what was the latest report that came out? Uh, well, they shut him down. Uh, for they didn't. I don't think they specified a time. It's probably the rest of the season. Um, neck and shoulder injuries. Well, he's been dealing with severe nerve damage. Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post reported. Um, obviously, I mean, we're wishing the best for Steven Strasburg health-wise. This is, you know, a very real, this, like, this injury is probably going to impact him personally off the field. You know, you think of, oh man, he's, is he going to be able to pitch? Is he going to, you know, is he going to be able to compete? Like, this is going to impact much more than just his abilities as a baseball player. So we are, you know, wishing Steven Strasburg the best. Um, and, you know, the, the takeaway from this has been, what are the odds we ever see him again? What are the odds we ever see him competitive again? And it seems slim to maybe even none, uh, at this point. And it's scary. It's pretty sad. Um, because Steven Strasburg, it really feels like he gave everything he, he had in the rest of the tank for those 2019 playoffs. Yeah, it, it does make you wonder for sure. Um, 
and yeah, I, I know in the article that that I was reading last night, it was saying like, yeah, it, he's unsure if he's going to be able to pitch ever again, um, which is, you know, horrible. I know, uh, sure, he's making a lot of he's making a lot of money right now, but he want he definitely wants to be out there. He definitely wants to be competing. Uh, you know, that's it's the game he's played his whole life. He wants to do it. It's been a way too long since he has been able to compete. But um, but yeah, uh, it's not great. And yeah, it, with the with the point you're making with the 2019 playoffs, I, he definitely was pitching on, you know, less than four days rest a couple of times. That's for sure. Uh, so he pitched three innings in the uh wild card game against the Brewers. Ended up getting the win in that. And then on two days rest, he started game two of the NLDS and pitched six innings. Allowed three hits, one and run, no walks, and ten strikeouts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, That's it was amazing, ridiculous. Um, yeah. Just just to go over those playoffs in general, the Nationals won all six of the games he start he pitched in. Uh, he went five and zero oh in with six appearances, thirty six and a third innings pitched, forty seven strikeouts and four walks, forty seven strikeouts and four walks. Uh, that is a strikeout to walk ratio, I believe. What would that what would that be? Um almost twelve. Like it would that. be eleven point seven. Yeah, almost twelve. That's insane. Uh four home runs allowed. For the, the same amount of walks and home runs allowed. That's pretty ridiculous. A one point nine eight ERA, a two point three nine FIP. Uh opponents slash two thirty two twenty one, two thirty nine, three sixty eight for a six oh seven OPS. Um he was awarded World Series MVP. If you look specifically at his World Series series he uh started games uh two in game six uh they won both in houston he pitched 14 in a third innings uh had 14 strikeouts three walks and had a 251 era a 370 fip uh but you know more importantly he first of all he put the nationals up 2-0 with his performance in game two and he he forced a game seven in game six with eight in the third innings pitched five hits two earned runs two walks seven strikeouts yeah. Um, yeah, he gave everything he had, it really feels like, for that World Series run that he carried the Nationals to in 2019. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> he was definitely, like, talk about 21st century playoff performers. He's, like, on the Mount Rushmore of that, probably. Yeah, I mean, total in his career, 55 and a third innings pitch in the postseason, a 146 ERA. Yeah, like even before the World Series run, That's he was unbelievable. Crazy. He pitched. That is crazy. Uh in two, between twenty fourteen and twenty seventeen, which are the other two years that he pitched in the playoffs, um, he had a 047 ERA in nineteen innings pitched. He gave up one earned run in nineteen innings, had twenty four strikeouts and four walks, and zero home runs allowed. Uh in 20- That's a one forty a one forty one FIP. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty sick. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it, like Strasburg when when he signed that deal, uh, seven years, two forty five. It made sense. I mean, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Didn't he, he just led the league in innings pitched? So you know, theoretically, I felt like injuries weren't that big of a of a problem. Yeah. The like the only time we were talking about Strasburg's health was. You know, after, was with that Tommy John surgery very, very early, early in his career, um, in which mm-hmm. 
uh yeah in which he you know that like he had an innings limit the next year and um the famous the famous tweet they should have uh by uh our former president is was that they uh should have oh. had Strasburg um they should have kept Strasburg pitching um but no they they capped him at an yeah dude I can't believe William Howard Taft said that yeah I me neither um but uh (laughs) but yeah like they capped him at an innings limit in 2012 but since then he'd been pretty healthy he'd qualified for the ERA title one two three four times after that um and yeah 209 innings in 2019 um it wasn't even his career high. His career high was in 2014 and finished fifth in the Cy Young that year in 2019. And yeah, after that, like we've, we just had our um, two episodes ago, we talked about like the future of the hall of fame after 2019, we were talking about Strasburg, like was on a path. He was definitely on a path. Um, Just unfortunate that really, really unfortunate that injuries have gotten in the way here. Yeah. I mean, it really, it really sucks. I think, you know, I, I'm glad that my Twitter timeline has been all Steven Strasburg love. I'm sure that there's plenty of others, you know, people frustrated with how the contract has gone and how he just has not been very available. But, you know, I've seen a lot of positivity on my timeline personally with Steven Strasburg. You know, he was a number one overall draft pick uh, in 2009. Uh, he had one of the most anticipated debuts of all time, and he dominated against the Pirates, of course, that famous 2010 start. Um, he has a career 324 ERA in almost 1,500 innings pitched. He's a guy that, you know, we just talked about active Hall of Famers, and he was a guy that was on a path after his age, like, 27 season, but... Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, fell apart. Through through 2019, a career 130 ERA plus. That's elite. Like uh, a career 10.6 strikeouts per nine, uh, and 2.4 walks per nine up to um up through 2019, and obviously the playoffs helped him out tremendously in that potential case too. Um, but um, I mean ultimately good for Strasburg. He those injuries were able to come up after the contract uh, and you know i'm sure the nationals did a bunch of physicals and all that stuff that happens to you know every single every single person who signs a big deal and they didn't find enough and um strasburg i i don't think those i don't think that injury like came up up until like the like the summer camp or that that uh yeah that yeah. spring training 2.0 was happening like that didn't really come up till then um, but ultimately, it's yeah, just it's. It, I mean, he pitched five innings in 2020. He made one start, or two right. starts. Sorry. Or yeah, it, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't come up till the season started. So, um, yeah, you don't know what happened. We're not, you know, sports doctors by any, by any, uh, by any means. So we're not here to diagnose anybody. But like, it is important to look at his career because, you know, also like he marks. I think Strasburg marks like. He was the beginning of the new hope for Washington. He was the first pick in 2009. Bryce Harper, obviously, uh, right after him, was the first pick in 2010. And, like, those were the faces of the new Nationals. And Strasburg was a part of why they were why were they, they were able to make the playoffs so much in the, um, you know, early to – for, like, most of the 2010s, 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017, and 2019, obviously. Um, you know, they won – 
they won the division or got in the wild got through in the wild card a bunch of times um because of guys like steven strasburg yeah no that's exactly right um yeah i mean he was the leader of that team he was the ace of that staff for a long time and some of the uh best years the franchise has had you know 2014 for example you mentioned they had the best record in the national league that season and you know playoffs didn't go well but that year he pitched 215 innings uh he had a he had a, a 294 fip a 563 strikeout to walk ratio at 3.14 era um and he led a staff that was one of the best in the league it was the year before they had gotten max scherzer and even without him, like they had Jordan Zimmerman, who had a two six six ERA. They had Tanner Roark on a two eight five ERA. Uh, Doug Fister at two forty one. Gio Gonzalez at three fifty seven. And all of those guys pitched one hundred and fifty innings. Steven Strasburg, the only one that pitched two hundred, he was at two fifteen. Um, he was leading a a very good rotation, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, he he was like the Nationals were considered you know, from even like, yeah, 2012 to like 2019, they were always like a top five rotation and it wouldn't be that way without Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Um, you know, they, the nationals obviously some, made some additions around him, you know, had some homegrown talent around him, but yeah, Strasburg, like, cons- like talk about also just consistently always very consistent, never had a, never had a bad year um, when he was healthy, like always, you know, his, the lowest career, the lowest ERA plus he had in um in like a season where he had more than a hundred innings, um was one fourteen. Like at his worst, he was fourteen percent above average. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it, it is a good it, with this news. It's a good opportunity to reflect on his career and how good he how good he was in his career. Unfortunately, unfortunately unfortunate that it might have to get cut short here but you know you you hope for the comeback you hope for the for him to be back on a mound but yeah you know just as it might not be the best option as as a person not even a player but like just being functionally a person it might just be debilitating him functionally yeah long live playoff strass yes really absolutely absolutely um Anything more before we uh, get into the next subject? Yeah, I think that was everything. All right, I will. Um, so the uh, final final subject we'll get into before players to highlight the previews of the week ahead. Um, kind of a date that people don't recognize how important this player was to like the culture of what what end what's ended up being the culture of baseball. But it's a fun time to reflect on. Uh, June third just passed, um, and that marked the MLB debut of one Yasiel Puig, who you know he's not he's not on a list of future Hall of Famers by any means. However, his his debut and his month, um, leading the Dodgers team, uh, to to start their run toward the twenty thirteen playoffs. Um, was a was a crazy time and uh yeah daniel what was you know what's what do you think of this time and and what took place so yeah puig mania 10 years later is a story that i think is very forgotten in time you and i were both finishing up sixth grade when this was starting so you yeah. know i had my nightly routine of 
you know, I wasn't old enough to stay up for West Coast games during school nights yet. So, of course, I would watch the highlights in the morning and I would wake up every morning and be like, what did Puig do last night? What Like, what did he do this time? And there was always something. So uh, I'll start at the very beginning. He debuted on June 3rd of 2013 uh, at the age 22 years, 178 days old. Now, Chris, you are currently 22 years, 206 days old. So he was around your age uh, to the day, close to it, when he was uh, completely turning the Dodgers around. Chris, what, what did you say their record was on June 3rd when he debuted? Um, Before that game, 23 and 32. Yeah, 23 and 32. The Dodgers were nine games below 500. Uh, and for reference, that's around the same record uh, as let's see what team in the, in the league is close to that right now 20 22 and thir- or 23 and 32 no team is particularly close to that basically like the white Sox. imagine imagine how the white Sox. it would be the worst been... record in the nl right now yeah would be the worst record in the national league right now the dodgers were bad yasiel puig came up and uh in his major league debut he just went two for four with two singles which is you know a pretty cool debut i mean it's not uh, otherworldly by any means, but you know, he, he got his first hit, he had his first multi-hit game, uh, and the Dodgers won two to one against the San Diego Padres. Uh, he didn't score a run, he didn't have any RBIs, but you know, he it was probably a night that he still remembers to this day. Uh, and then the next night, June 4th, he went three for four with two home runs and five RBI, including a double. Uh, he absolutely crushed the Padres in his second game. They won 9-7. to seven. Uh, And with that, Yasiel Puig became the first player in MLB history uh, to record five hits, two home runs, and five runs batted in in his first two career games. Uh, only Francisco Arcia of the Angels has done it since in 2018. But Yasiel Puig was the first to do it. Uh, and then continuing onward, the next night he did go 0-4. You know, he's human. But on June 6th, he hit a grand slam uh, in a game that the Padres or the, the Dodgers ended up winning over the eventual National League East champion Atlanta Braves five to nothing. Um, and Puig in his first eight games total uh, slugged 500, 515, 938, 14-53. In his first 27 games, he slugged 443, 473, 745, 1218. That's 27 games. That's a month of baseball we're talking about where he had a 1200 OPS didn't like still adjusting to major league pitching or maybe not even. And then in his first 53 games, uh, he was slashing 376, 429, 600, 1029. Uh, so he was just absolutely ridiculous. He was on one and it was just, I don't know for me, for 13 year old me, that was just, it was a time. Yeah, it really was. Um, And he was absolutely amazing. And to add context as to how impressive that slash line was, um, in from June third to July second, which is a, which is a full month, um, Yasiel Puig led all of baseball in batting average, slugging, and OPS. And also, more importantly, during this time stretch, the Dodgers uh, went seventeen and eleven, and they started doing even better after that. Um, and he really just kind of almost single handedly uh, turned around the Dodgers season and turn them from a team nine games below 500 to an NLS champion and a team that was two wins away from the world series. Um, and all during all that also 
he was kind of the first one of the first guys adding you know especially a young guy kind of bold to do this but adding flair to his hits bat flipping bat flipping singles kind of like you know being a little bit showboaty which has been something that the mlb now celebrates but was not quite doing this in 2013 it was still kind of run by the um by the older school people and uh you know not necessarily bat bat flipping was not necessarily being celebrated at that time it was more being you know regularly scrutinized and uh he was kind of at the forefront of it very early on yeah i mean i think the so you might be reason wondering why we're even talking about this you know why we're talking about yasiel puig's first couple of months in the league when he you know his career, you know, if you look at his baseball reference page, it's like, all right, yeah, this guy was good for a couple of years, but then he kind of flamed out and now he's out of the league and whatever. Um, but like, I don't think if you're, if you weren't there, I don't think you have any idea how much he took, not even just baseball, but the entire sports world by storm at this time. First of all, he led the Dodgers back from the dead. Uh, they were one of the best teams. I think they had, they had the best record in the national league by six and a half games after the day he debuted. Um, and you know, I was watching, you know, this was before I was, uh, in the MLB network, I was watching sports center every morning. Uh, and like, they would talk about him along with like the, the, you know, 2013 NBA playoffs when LeBron, uh, you know, was leading the heat to a championship. Uh, uh, if you look at the, uh, and I'm just, you know, kind of looking at this right here to, to get some numbers on it, but, uh, the top Jersey sales of 2014, uh, you know, we're a year after where Clayton Kershaw, uh, Derek Jeter, Mike Trout, Buster Posey, and then Yasiel Puig. Yeah. Like yeah. Puig was it's... a international superstar. He was kind of the face of international players at that time as well. You know, he was a Cuban uh, outfielder who, you know, uh, had defected. Uh, you know, this was kind of before um, the embargo was lifted and it was a lot harder for players to make their way over from Cuba to the United States you know he received several death threats and uh, times were kind of just different back then but and they've obviously gotten a lot easier now but you know he was kind of reflective of a different time if you look at the top selling jerseys of 2013 it went Mariano Rivera Matt Harvey Yasiel Puig he was number three um, in front of Manny Machado Buster Posey Clayton Kershaw Miguel Cabrera who won his second consecutive MVP that year um you know Clayton Kershaw who won his second Cy Young that year for the same team. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, who won MVP that year. Uh, Mike Trout, who should have won MVP that year. You know, it was only Mariano Rivera, who was the greatest closer of all time in his last season, and Matt Harvey, who was at the same time taking New York by storm. But, yeah, I mean, Puig Mania was, I think, just such a forgotten time that, you know, now it does, you know, it doesn't feel real that it was 10 years ago now, but... I think it just needs to be brought back to light. You know, like basketball fans talk about Jeremy Lin and his run that he had in 2011. And like the baseball equivalent to that was Yasiel Puig in, in June, in the summer of 2013. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Like, and thinking about it from a Dodgers fan perspective, you understand why they're, why they're buying his Jersey, because you're thinking about, you know, you're the Dodgers. Um, It's, you know, June entering June, 2013. I, believe they had not won a division title and since 2009 i don't think they had been to the playoffs since 2009 despite having you know a high payroll they had just made this big trade where they acquired you know 
Adrian Gonzalez, uh, Carl Crawford, Josh Beckett, and of course Nick Punto, but not the big, not the biggest deal in the world. <laughs> um, but they had made just made that trade. They they had a bunch of signings. Um, they had a high payroll, but they weren't getting the results. And entering June of you know entering Puig's debut, a twenty three and thirty two record. It looks like another hopeless year. They just watched the Giants win two two World Series in three years. The Dodgers were not at a good point uh, before Yasiel Puig's debut. And then all of a sudden, this guy's taken over the world, has posted 12-18 OPS in the first month he's in the big leagues. And, uh, and you know, obviously it's not all Puig that, you know, one player can't turn them, one player can't make you the best team in the National League after you debut. But he definitely made a big impact just in the culture of Dodgers baseball as well as, you know, on the field. And, you know, the Dodgers win the division in 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Like they win at like they go from 23 and 32 and then they eventually, you know, not all because of Puig, obviously, but they win uh, eight division titles in a row, uh, which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, and and yeah, like and going also with the uh, point of his being an international player yeah like the first cuban star i don't think earl earl chapman wasn't necessarily established yet um people knew how hard he threw but he wasn't an established amazing closer quite yet he was definitely um, the most established cuban player by that point i'm just looking at another article uh on july 11th of 2013 which i presume was around the all-star break a little a month a little more than a month after his debut he was already top 10 in jersey sales in the league yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Um, and yeah, now, now, uh, now with Cuban players, there's I think there's a good amount more. Uh, the first guys I'm thinking of are Randy Rosarena and uh, Yandy Diaz, um, both with the Rays, uh, making a big impact and uh, taking the league by storm as Cuban players. And yeah, Yasiel Puig was was uh, one of the forefronts of you know Cuban baseball players being having a big impact in Major League Baseball. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I figured this is a this is something we just needed to talk about because yeah, it's the ten year anniversary. I haven't seen it getting much uh, attention on, you know, the internet and whatnot. But I feel like someone's got to remember Puig Mania because it was just such a time. It, I mean, and it, it was yeah. honestly unlike anything I've ever seen since. It's a good idea because, like, yeah, it 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 was a really big deal. It was a very big deal. And it's a very accurate parallel to compare it to Lynn Sanity because that like similar, the Knicks were, you know, a struggling NBA team and Lynn, Jeremy Lynn gave new energy to New York basketball. Yasiel Puy gave new energy to Dodgers baseball. Um, and it was proven by how good they were doing after. Um, yeah. I mean, if you really want to think about it from the long-term angle, you know, the Dodgers have had this run where they've, uh, you know, either won the NL West or been in the playoffs or been a 100-win team for the last decade. That started in 2013, and their success in 2013 started with Yasiel Puig. Like, he kind of lit the fire that start this, uh, you know, this incredible run of dominance that the Dodgers have had over the last decade. Yeah, 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 um, absolutely. Like, they had not been in the playoffs since 2009 up to that point, I believe, if uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, could be wrong about that, but I think that's what it was. So... Yeah, I mean it was a very big deal. Very big deal that uh 
what what Yasiel Puig was doing, um, you know, whether it was how he was performing or how he was, you know, how he like what he was doing on the field with like being celebratory, you know, having that flair that's celebrated now that wasn't quite celebrated then. Um, it was a pretty big deal what he was doing and doesn't, yeah, it's not getting reflected on enough now because it was a really big deal when it was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, one, I don't know. Is there anything else you have on this you wanted to say? Uh, no, no. Um, but yeah, it, it was a good idea to bring this, uh, bring this back into, um, a topic of conversation because yeah, it should be, it should be acknowledged how big of an impact he did have in that summer. Um, um one yeah. thing I would say, if you're listening to this, first of all, go watch Yasiel Puig's like 2013 highlights. Um, but also look at the story of his, uh, his defection from Cuba because, you know, there are a lot of really, you know, gut wrenching, difficult stories from players that defected from Cuba around that time. Jose Abreu is another example. Um, and luckily, you know, the, uh, you know, the tensions between us and Cuba have kind of eased at this time. And, you know, there is the process a lot easier. Um, but Yasio Puig was definitely kind of the face of like this, the, the human rights issues and whatnot, uh, that were going on at that time. Uh, and you know, a national example of someone who had to go through so much to get to that point. And once he got there, you know, he did it loudly. Same with Jose Abreu, like I mentioned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. There's a lot of things he represents. That is for sure. Um. So yeah. Shout out to Quigmania. Absolutely. Um. So now we will get into uh, players to highlight for good and bad reasons. We will start with the good. Um. With our uh Monday, June. 5th, 2023 edition of uh... How About That? Who do you have for us today? So for my How About That, I believe I'm crossing a team off the list. Um, I, I mean, let me just real quick check. Yes, indeed I am. Uh, we are talking about ARR alum Jamer Candelario of the Washington Nationals, uh, who has had a fantastic stretch uh, since May 15th. He is slashing 368, 449, 677 for an 1125 OPS and a 199 weighted runs created plus. Um, he's also had solid defense during this time, and he leads the na- all National League position players in F4 over this span. Uh, before this span, he had a strikeout rate of 20.8%, and in this span, he has cut it to 16.6%, so over a 4% decrease, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it really makes a big difference. Uh, also, before this span, he had a walk rate of 6.7%, and it is now 10.3%, close to another 4% there. Uh, before this span, he is, his sweet spot rate was 34.3%, 34.8%, which is around league average, and in the span, it is 47.3%, the eighth highest among the 93 hitters with at least 50 plate appearances in this span. So... Uh, you know, he's striking out less, walking more, and he's also making better contact. Looking more specifically into it, uh, in this or on batted balls in the sweet spot, he is hitting 692 and slugging 1308, which are both above the major league average. 
he has most specifically been mashing against four seam fastballs and changeups. Uh, against four seamers in this span, he is hitting 471 and slugging 824 uh, on 19 plate appearances against four seamers. And against changeups, he is hitting 545 and slugging 1364 uh, on 11 plate appearances. And when you combine both, he is hitting 500 and slugging 1036 on 30 plate appearances against four seamers and changeups. Both his average and slugging lead the 184 hitters with at least 25 plate appearances against both during this span. Uh, so that's what he's been doing on offense, but he's also been stepping it up on defense in the span and this year. Uh, his outs above average has gone from the 8th percentile in 2022 to the 98th percentile in 2023. So he's gone from the bottom 10% to the top 2% in just a year, which is remarkable. His OAA overall has gone from negative 6 to 6. Uh, in 2022, he had negative 6 OAA on plays to his left uh, as a third baseman. Uh, and that was the third worst among the 36 qualifying third basemen. And this year, he has two OAA on plays to his left, which is tied for the fifth highest among the 82 qualifying third basemen. So, Jammer Candelario, he's been better on offense, he's making better contact, and he's uh, doing a lot better on defense. So, that is why he is my how about that. Yeah, Jammer Candelario. How about that? Um, Yeah, and Candelario, like, you know, he's someone I was, yeah, he was a, he was a Tigers player to watch of mine before last year because he was, yeah, I think uh, combined 2020 and 2021, he was seventh among all third basemen in F war. And um, yeah, like really struggled last year, but the more, as you talked about those numbers, especially with the defense, I'm thinking it was probably, it was probably an injury thing. Well, he had a thumb injury last year. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is I think, I think it was more of an injury problem for him. Um, than actual actually performing worse. So I agree. Um, so yeah, I mean the Nationals definitely got a you know good on the Nationals for picking him up, and you know it seems like he's getting back to where he was before 2022, um, which was a you know a really good underrated third baseman. So uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, good to cross another team off the list as well. Um, my uh. My how about that? I think also crosses another team off the list. Um, I'm talking about uh I'm talking about Josh Naylor of the Cleveland Guardians. Um, I believe a first baseman, sometimes DH also. Uh, mm-hmm. who in his last 18 games, he's hitting 371 with an 1128 OPS and a 205 weighted runs created plus. Out of 182 qualifiers, his average ranks fourth, on-base percentage ranks sixth, slugging ranks fourth, OPS ranks fourth, and weighted runs created plus ranks third out of 182. And out of 143 hitters with 50-plus batted balls in the span, Josh Naylor's expected batting average ranks fourth, expected slugging ranks ninth, and expected WOBA ranks eighth out of 143. Um, A lot of what has increased his expected numbers is his strikeout rate going from 19% before the span to 13% in the span? His strikeout rate is 23rd lowest out of 182 uh, in his last 18 games. Also, his ground ball rate has gone from 46% down to a very low 34%. His line drive rate has gone from 20% to 30%. 
and also his hard hit line drive rate has gone from 13% to 20%. That hard hit line drive rate ranks 10th out of 143 batters. Uh, along with that, his sweet spot rate has gone from 28%, which was 5% below average, to 43%, 10% above average. Uh, and along with his line drive rate and sweet spot rate going up, his barrel rate has also nearly doubled in this time frame. His barrel rate has gone from 7% before the span to 15% in the span. Uh, so making more contact and making much, much better contact. Uh, it's not even a thing. He's not even necessarily hitting the ball uh, harder, but he's hitting a lot more line drives, a lot less ground balls, a lot more balls in the sweet spot zone, uh, which is you know between 8 and 32 degrees. Hitters, I think, hit 590 in that zone. Um, or something, something crazy. So, uh, Josh Naylor, um, doing a lot better than he was and being, you know, third, third best way to runs created plus, um, in his last 18 games. So he's doing a lot, right? So Josh Naylor, How about that? um, so now we move from the, uh, highs to the lows where we're talking players or subjects that have been underperforming with our Monday, June 5th, 2023 edition of... Slightly Alarming. Uh, who do you have for us today? So for my Slightly Alarming, I really wouldn't be surprised if we have the same guy today. Uh, I, it's been a it's been a struggle all season. It's just needed to be addressed. But it's Trey Turner uh, of the Philadelphia Phillies. And yikes, it has been... You know, we say Slightly Alarming. I would go beyond the word Slightly for this. Uh, he is slashing 143, 182, 270 for a 452 OPS and a 17 weighted runs created plus over his last 15 games. And overall this season, he is slashing 232, 276, 330, 366 for a 642 OPS and a 70 weighted runs created plus. Uh, over the 15 game span I mentioned, he has a 41.2% hard hit rate, which is good, but he is two for 29 on batted balls that are not hard hit. That is an 068 batting average. That is really bad. Uh, 33% of his batted balls over the span have been 15 degrees or higher and below the hard hit threshold. And he is hitting 059 on such batted balls and slugging 118. Uh, his average ranks the lowest among the 28 hitters with at least 50 batted balls in the span. And his slugging percentage ranks fourth lowest. Uh, among the 50 among the 28 hitters with at least 50 batted balls and that's batted balls under those conditions uh throughout the year his average launch angle of 15.8 degrees is the highest it's ever been in his career uh this year specifically he is he has a career high in pop-up rate at 7.7 percent and a fly ball rate at 30.8 percent uh, he also has career lows in line drive rate at 21.4% and ground ball rate at 40.1%. Now, if you know Trey Turner as a hitter, you know that he is a a guy that, ha you know, his best tool is speed. You know, he's a solid contact hitter. He's been a, a solid power hitter at times, but he hasn't really made a full career out of it. But his game is speed. And if you're hitting primarily fly balls and pop-ups over ground balls and line drives, that's not good. And he's doing this this season at, you know, first year of his 11-year deal. And he's also doing it at Citizens Bank Park, which ranks 27th in StatCast Park Factor this year, which essentially means it's been a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Uh, and he's been hitting more fly balls there. Uh, and it hasn't worked out for him, obviously. Uh, he has been specifically awful against four-seam fastballs this year. 
Uh, overall, he is hitting 130 against four seamers. He is slugging 247 on 76 plate appearances. Uh, and that gives him a run value of minus 14, which is the worst among the 2,179 qualifying hitters against any pitch. Uh, or actually, it's 2,179 against any pitch, any hitter with 10 plate appearances against any pitch. And he ranks dead last. Uh, in 2023, he is a whiff rate of 31%. His previous career high was in 26.3%. By the way, that was last year, and that was 3% above his previous high. Uh, his zone contact rate is 79.3%. His previous career low was 82.4%. And his chase rate uh, was 36.4% this year. His previous clear career low was 33.1%, which, by the way, was in 2022, and that was well above his previous career high. Uh, or yeah, his previous career high in chase rate. Uh, Trey Turner has looked really concerningly bad in the first year of his 11 year contract. And it feels like with some of his swing metrics that this could have almost been predicted. Uh, so Trey Turner is my slightly alarming. Yeah. Trey Turner. Slightly alarming. Well done. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been absolutely feeling it. Um, this Trey Turner struggle. Yeah. Uh, Phillies fans have definitely been feeling it too. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe, yeah, it could have been based on him having lower contact rates last year. Sure. I think, yeah, there is a possibility. It could have been, he could have been trending already trending this way in terms of him having higher strikeout rates, lower contact rates. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was very optimistic on him this year, you know, being that he had the second best position player F4 uh, combined in 2021 and 2022, you know, I figured he should be considered like a top five top or at least top 10 player. Um, but he is definitely not looking like that right now. And I've definitely been feeling it on my F4 team. It's my second round pick. I thought it was a steal at the second round with the mm -hmm. 13th. Yeah. I think it was the 12th or 13th overall pick. Um, but yeah, definitely not definitely not good this year um my slightly alarming um is uh is a pitcher who really made his mark last year it was kind of a surprise and i think is kind of coming back down to earth um and that is uh martin perez who had a 289 era last year i think was an all-star um was really really good last year but uh in his last five starts, he has a 6.91 ERA and a 6.14 FIP. Out of 85 qualifiers in this span, his ERA is third worst and his FIP is fourth worst. Uh, overall this year, his strikeout rate has gone from 21, 21% to 16%. And uh, almost more alarmingly, his ground ball rate has gone from 52% last year to 41% this year. And uh, as a result, his sweet spot rate has gone from 31% to 36%. Uh, much, much of why his ground ball rate has decreased has been due to the location of his sinker. Uh, last year, his sinker was in the upper two-thirds of the strike zone 32% of the time, and this year it is up there 40% of the time, uh, an 8% increase in his sinker being in the upper two-thirds of the strike zone. Obviously, if you want to get ground balls, you want to keep that sinker low. And the sinker is meant to be kept low because if it hangs, uh, there's going to be some damage that's done to that sinker. Um, this has led to his ground ball rate. This increase in his sinker being up in the zone has led to his ground ball rate on his sinker going from 
40 or going from 55% last year to 40% this year. Out of 119 pitchers with 25 plus batted balls against sinkers, Perez has the 12th lowest ground ball rate on them. Um, 12th lowest ground ball rate on sinkers out of 119. Also, uh, his slow so this has let so his sinker getting a low uh lower ground ball rate has led to his sinker being hit a lot better. Um, you would think naturally. His slugging on his slugging against his sinker has gone from 342 last year up to 515 this year. However, hitters are doing even better against his cutter. Uh hitters have gone from slugging 290 against his cutter last year to slugging 714 on his cutter this year, and they are slugging 857 on his cutter in his last five starts. Uh, out of 60 pitchers to throw 60-plus cutters in this five-start span, his slugging against his cutter is the highest, and out of 53 pitchers to throw 150-plus cutters this whole year, his slugging against his cutter is also the highest. Um, so Martin Perez, uh, his strikeout rate, first of all, has gone down from last year. And uh, he is also locating the ball worse with a sinker, causing lower ground ball rates, causing better results for hitters. So, uh, Martin Perez. Slightly alarming. Or, my right, bad. Mar- should, we, uh, should we condense this into seven and a half minutes the best we can? Yeah, we should. And by the way, my apologies. It's Martin Perez. The accent is on the first E, not the second E. I'll, I make that mistake all the time. Um, so now, yeah, we get into... Preview of the week ahead. We're going to try to speed run this because Zoom uh, shortens our meetings sometimes. Um, what's This is just a funny series, the fact that they're both division leaders, but the Rays and Twins are matching up. Um, they're both division leaders. However, the Rays are 11 games better than the Twins. <laughs> um, so that's kind of just funny that they're facing each other. Uh, Blue Jays, Astros, that's a great series to watch. Elite teams, elite players going at it. Um, I'm wondering if that is a, uh, three or four game series. I believe that is a, that's a four game series. So, uh, Blue Jays, Astros, two really talented teams going at it. Um, and then the last, uh, uh, Mets Braves is a very good series to watch two division rivals going at it. Mets, maybe if they do well in the series could catch ground in the NL East. And then along with that, uh, the final series to watch uh, two underperforming West coast teams who do have a lot of talent Padres and Mariners going at it at Petco park. Uh, who do you have for the day by day pitching matchups? So I'll just, I'll, for time purposes, I'll, I'll cut it to just matchup of the night uh, or it's any worthy matchups. So uh, tonight, one of the interesting matchups is Adam Wainwright versus Martin Perez. You're slightly alarming. Uh, Kyle Hendricks versus Blake Snell in Cubs Padres is also interesting. And then matchup of the day, or afternoon rather, comes from Rays Red Sox. I'm going to go with Shane McClanahan versus Brian Bayo. Yeah, co- yeah. really good stuff going to be be thrown in that uh, in that matchup. Yep. All right, so on uh, Tuesday, Mitch Keller is starting for the Pirates against the Athletics. Uh, in Pittsburgh, James Paxton and Shane Bieber are facing each other in Red Sox Guardians. That's going to be in Cleveland. Uh, Bryce Elder is pitching for the Braves against the Mets in Atlanta. Freddie Peralta is pitching for the Brewers against the Orioles in minute or uh, not minute uh, American Family Field. Uh, you will also have uh, Logan Gilbert and Joe Musgrove facing each other in Mariners Padres. And matchup of the night comes from Astros Blue Jays. It's Hunter Brown versus Kevin Gosman. Yeah, absolutely, a good one. So then on Wednesday. 
Uh, you have Zach Wheeler pitching for the Phillies against the Tigers at CVP. Uh, Pablo Lopez facing the Rays for the Twins in Tampa. Edward Cabrera facing the Royals for the Marlins uh, in Miami. Um, you will have Chris Bassett, who's pitched really well recently, pitching for the Blue Jays against the Astros uh, in Toronto. Tanner Bybee will face the Red Sox for the Guardians at Progressive Field. Uh, Max Serger and Charlie Morton will face each other in Mets Braves. Corbin Burns will face the Orioles for the Brewers. And matchup of the day uh, comes from, or afternoon comes from Mariners-Padres. It's George Kirby versus Michael Waka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Waka won um, May Pitcher of the Month. Yes, he did. And George Kirby uh, so then is on one Thursday, of the best we actually have a decent amount announced. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about Thursday as well. Yeah, you know, Clayton Kershaw and Graham Ashcraft will face each other in Dodgers Reds. That's going to be at Great American Ballpark. Uh, Merrill Kelly and Josiah Gray will face each other in in Diamondbacks Nationals. Um, excuse me. Uh, Framber Valdez in and Jose Barrios will face each other in Astros Blue Jays. Um, Reed Demers will face the Cubs for the Angels at the Big A. And matchup of the night easily comes from Mets Braves. It's Justin Verlander versus Spencer Strider. <laughs> you got yeah. uh yeah, you got a the reigning AL Cy Young versus the reigning NL rookie of the year and maybe the NL Cy Young favorite right now. Um so yeah, that is a that's an awesome matchup. Yeah. Um that'll do it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. A bit of a longer one. It's been a while since we've uh yeah chatted some baseball so it was good to get some stuff off our chest um good to do that um we hope you enjoyed this one if you are listening on apple Podcasts or spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens go to the youtube channel it is called above replacement radio also check out our digital content over there and if you're listening on youtube and want to just uh listen only on audio go to the apple Podcasts and spotify streams and subscribe or follow those they are called above replacement radio uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta and follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore current and follow the show Instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be doing the players with that one season draft with Rob Dickey and Nico Vasella. We will see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.